All right, great. Okay, so we're in a series, in the middle of a series on prayer. And I've been loving this series like so much. It's been impacting my life personally. I know it's been really impacting a lot of you. And we're about almost halfway through it. And I want to start today by making a really bold claim about each one of us, okay? About each one of us that are in this space today. We are God's primary plan to push back the darkness, the chaos, and the destruction that the enemy is trying to sow into our lives And he's designed us to do that from the very beginning. He's given us authority through Jesus, and he's empowered us by the Holy Spirit to bring heaven to earth. Does that sound like a bold claim? Yeah, it's a bold claim. But today, I'm going to show you how it's true. I'm going to show you how it's true. And so if For a few weeks now, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. It's a scripture in Matthew. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed, probably the most famous prayer in the history of the world. And I'm going to read it to you again, just in case it's not stuck in your head yet. Now, this is Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It would have been on the screen, but it's not. So if you want to follow along in your Bible or just listen to the words, this is what it says. It says, this then is how you should pray. This is Jesus talking Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So two weeks ago, we looked at the first half of one of those lines. We're taking this prayer kind of line by line, and we looked at the first half of this line. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we took that your kingdom come and your will be done. Now, our familiarity with this prayer, even if you don't attend church regularly, you've probably come across this prayer before just because it's prayed. As I cited a few weeks ago, on Easter Sunday, that prayer is recited by almost 25% of the world's population. That's really crazy, right? Very few things are involving 25% of the world's population on the same day, but that's what experts believe because it's the prayer that on Easter, whether you go to church once a year or you never go to church and maybe you did as a, as a, as a child and you remember, I should probably at least, what's that prayer, the Lord's Prayer? I'll pray that one. 25%. And so we've taken it line by line and our familiarity keeps us from understanding like how bold of a prayer that specific prayer is, and specifically that line, your kingdom come, your will be done. Praying that God's kingdom would come and that his will be done is a very bold prayer. So I just want to quickly review the type of prayer that that prayer is from a few weeks ago because we build on that today with the second half of the line. So first of all, it's a prayer of submission, right? We, when we say your kingdom come, God, your will be done, we are saying we submit to the reign and rule of God, the creator and sustainer of all things. Now, I don't know about you, but submission is one of the least favorite words in my lexicon, right? Right? Thea knows I'm a stubborn person, 
I'm a stubborn person. And so sometimes when people are like, hey, you need to submit to this, it takes the Lord's work in my life to be obedient to that. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing that I need to do that. But submission is hard. But that's the prayer that you're praying when you say, your kingdom come, God. Not my own kingdom, but your kingdom come, your will be done. It's also a prayer of recalibration. Learning how to not want the goodness of our own kingdom because our own kingdom, as we know, is actually really fragile and it involves a lot of things that are destructive to us and to other people when we get down to the nitty gritty. And so we are realigning, we are recalibrating our life with the will of God because he has the best design for you. He has the best intentions for your life. And then lastly, it's a prayer of desperation. We talked about how it's just sometimes too much, the weight of this world, too many things going on, too much pressure, too much pain, too much sorrow. And we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I don't want to rule myself anymore. Will you rule me, the God of the universe? So as you can see, it's a bold prayer. It's a life altering prayer. And Christians should pray that prayer very often. Well, Jesus continues that line with another very powerful statement. He says, on earth as it is in heaven. So what is Jesus talking about when he says, on earth as it is in heaven? Does he actually mean that it's going to be physically like heaven on earth? And if so, what is heaven like? Now, in Revelation 21, one of the things it describes in heaven are streets of gold. I would just settle for no potholes. Anybody else? Okay, right? Like, I, that would be, I would take that. But streets of gold is what it says. How many people, when they've been in church, maybe this is probably just more of a church kid thing, but how many people have heard it said that you're going to have a mansion in heaven? Anybody? Just a few of us? Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I love that idea. Okay. Now, they're probably pulling from this scripture where it's Jesus teaching about his father's house having many rooms. I'm not sure. There's probably some other stuff that they're drawing from. But this is my question. If I have a mansion, do I have to clean it? Do I have to mow the lawn? Or is there like this eternal lawn service that I can call on, right? I, I don't know if I want that weight. Okay, now one time, this is another thing that I've heard. Maybe you've heard this too. I heard a music pastor. Now, we all know music pastors are weird, right, Jess? Nah, I'm just kidding. They have a different perspective of what heaven might be like. And I heard this one pastor say that it's going to be like an everlasting worship set. Now, I'd be a liar if I didn't tell you that that makes me a little nervous. Okay, now, I mean, it, we are going to proclaim God's greatness forever. In fact, it talks about the throne of God in Revelation and how there are these creatures who say, holy, holy, holy is the name of God, and they never stop saying that. But I doubt that it's going to be a reflection of what we just did right here 10 minutes ago forever. And for you guys, that's a good thing because I don't sing in key. Maybe I will in heaven. I don't know. But of course, we have this perspective. What does it mean to have heaven come to earth? What does that actually mean? Now, I joke, but you probably have your own images of what heaven's like. And maybe they're based on things that are actually true in Scripture or some things that are kind of loosely attached to Scripture. But for Jesus to pray on earth as it is in heaven means that there has to be more to heaven than just shiny streets and large houses, right? 
There has to be, he has to be talking about more than just that, doesn't he? Well, I read to you two weeks ago a passage from Revelation 21 that I want to read to you again because it highlights where we will be eventually. This is a big deal. We're not there yet, but this is where we are headed. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 7 says this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. That's crazy, right? Then he says, I saw a holy city and a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now there's a lot to unpack in this that we're not going to do today, maybe sometime in a, in a future series. But here is what I want you to r- recognize and remember about what's coming. First of all, heaven and earth will be remade. It says that. It said that God will dwell among us. It says that there will be no more tears and no more death and no more mourning or crying or pain. And there will be a completely new order of things. So that is what's coming. But what about now? What about in between creation and that account of what's coming? The answer is that God's kingdom has come to a degree, and it is coming to a degree, and eventually we will get to that state, that place that we read about in Revelation 21. But you and I, the church, have not been designed to simply wait around for that reality to happen. We actually have stuff to do. In fact, today... Um, Until that day comes, I want to show you how you've been authorized by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring heaven to earth today. Today. You can do that today. And that means intercession. Today's prayer topic is the topic of intercession. Now, you've maybe heard that, maybe not. Theologically speaking, we are intercessors on behalf of the people that are around us, on behalf of our family, on behalf of our friends. We are intercessors. And in our modern language, what that means is it's a mediator between two things or two entities. It's a very simple definition of what intercession means. It's basically a mediator. And in the context of prayer, it means that we are people who are praying to God on behalf of somebody else. We are interceding on their behalf. Intercessory prayer is the act of praying for one another, to lift up the needs of the other, to turn away from ourselves and turn towards our neighbor. Now, in just a moment, you will see how from the very beginning, from the initial design of God's creation, that you were created to be an intercessor for heaven, to be the go-between between God and earth people as we know it. In fact, in Genesis 1, we read that God's design for humanity, every single one of us, was to be God's partner in ruling over creation. Isn't that wild? To think about that we are God's partner. His original design is that we partner with him in subduing and ruling over creation. Sometimes I think to myself, man, that is a wild 
thing to think about. That's a wild way to think about myself. But in Genesis 1, that's how he describes us. And so today, for the next few minutes, I want you to imagine yourself as a, well, I'm just going to say, I want you to imagine yourself as a superstar in theater. Can you guys be a Broadway star for me today for just the next few minutes? Gideon, can you just pretend to be a, a Broadway star today? Is that something that you can do? Yeah? Okay. All right. You just imagine yourself as this like Broadway star and you are starring in a four-act play about the story of humanity. Can we do that? Zach, you in? Okay. Zach's in. We all know he likes attention, so we're good there. Here are the four acts that we're going through. Creation, the fall, hope, and Jesus. So act one, creation. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28 says this. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Did you catch the title? Ruler. He says that we are to rule over creation. God created us and cast us to be caretakers over his beautiful creation. His original design for Adam, which in our English language is spelled exactly like the Hebrew word Adam for humanity, meaning all of humanity, not just one man, not just one woman, but all of humanity is to partner with God in ruling over the entirety of creation. The image that we see in those first two chapters of Genesis is one where humanity, represented by Adam, is one where God is directly walking and talking and interacting, if you read the two chapters, with humans. And he created us, and he assigned us the role of ruler, or as we know it, intercessor. We are the go-between between God and humanity. He said, hey, I made this beautiful thing. Now you are going to rule it. You are going to be my intercessors. You're going to be the ones that rule on behalf of me in this beautiful creation. So we were created to be intercessors. And there was a direct line of communication and interaction with God. So what happened? What happened? What changed? Well, it's pretty obvious to some of us, and it's going to be quite obvious to all of us in just a second. We have Act 2. It's called The Fall. And in Genesis 3, it records what happened and where that communication was interrupted and where it was severed. Genesis 3, 1 through 7 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat, 
Eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So we see here from a sneaky, through a sneaky deception, that the role of ruler of creation was passed on or lost from us and given to our spiritual enemy. And it's here represented by the serpent. The severing of our role as intercessor on earth, as God's go-between between him and his creation was disrupted when sin entered the world. And sin came through rebellion. From us deciding, from humanity deciding, we are better gods than God. Certainly, he didn't actually want us to not have this knowledge and this power. So Satan and his fellow rebels, they are now the rulers of this world. And the way that that manifests itself is through darkness and through chaos and through pain and destruction. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Rick, this is not the uplifting sermon that we were hoping for today. It's a beautiful spring day outside. Why are you talking to me about this nonsense? But we cannot ignore this reality. We cannot, as Christians, ignore the reality that there is a real enemy, a real spiritual enemy who absolutely hates you, who's trying to deceive you and get you to buy into the lie that you are a better God and that you have a better design for your life than God has for your life. I have said this now every week for the last four weeks, and I'm going to keep saying it because it keeps coming up in our lives. It keeps coming out in our lives that we think we're better at designing our life than God. And the only thing that that leads to is destruction, to chaos, And so the ruler of this world is deceiving people and bringing chaos and sowing destruction into this world. That's what happened at the fall. That's what happened in Genesis 3. But there's hope. But there's hope. And there has been hope. Since Genesis 3, verse 15, Act 3 is called a hopeful promise. So we've had creation. We have this beautiful design and this partnership with God. Sin enters the world through rebellion. Now there's chaos and darkness and pain. But Jesus is our hope. And there's a promise that God says in Genesis 3, 15, I want to point this out so that you can really see that God did not waste any time bringing hope to his people, to his creation. This is God speaking to Satan. In Genesis 3.15, it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's God telling Satan, you will be defeated. You will be defeated through the offspring of a woman who we will find out to be in just a moment, if you've already forgotten, to be Jesus. So the imagery of the head is ruler. In 
biblical terms, when it says the head, it's talking about a ruler. That design that we had initially in Genesis 1 and 2 with God is we were to be the head of creation. We were to be the rulers. And so God is saying that he will crush your head, Satan. He will crush your rulership over this world. He will destroy the hold that you have on this world, and you will strike his heel. That imagery is God reminding us, or rather foretelling the people in that time, hey, it might be this way right now, but it's not going to be that way forever. There is hope. And God is promising immediately after that initial disruption to restore the authority that he gave to humanity to rule and subdue the earth, to take back the authority from Satan, from the enemy, and give it back to humanity to be the intercessors. Jesus actually confirms this later on in John chapter 12. Jesus talks about this very idea, the very thing that was promised in Genesis 3.15. We pass all those years until Jesus' arrival, and then he grows up, and he's having these moments where he's teaching his disciples and teaching the people who are following him. And he says this, it's recorded in John 12, verse 30 and 31. It says, Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Jesus is saying, yes, there has been a severing. There's been a disconnect in your relationship with God, in your communication, the initial design, the primary design for you as intercessors. There has been a disruption, but there is hope. And that hope is the Savior, the promise of a Savior to restore things as they were, to restore the partnership that God originally designed. He's going to cast out the ruler of this world. That's what Jesus says in John 12. And so that takes us to the very last act of this play where we are are superstars in this play, partnering with God. We get to the final act, act four, Jesus. Shortly after his resurrection, he's talking to his disciples, and it says this in Matthew 28 about a conversation that he's had with them. He's giving them instructions. He's saying, hey, I've paid the bill. I've done the heavy lifting. Now here's what I want you to go do. And he says this in Matthew 20:18. He says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Later, he goes on to commission them to do the work of making disciples. But he starts by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's an incredible statement because what he is saying is, is remember that authority you initially had with God to be the rulers over creation, to be his intercessors, and then you lost it through rebellion, and it had been given to the serpent, to the enemy, to the the, the Lord of destruction, guess what? I got it back. Jesus said, I took back that authority, and I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you to go and be restored and do the work that I initially set you out to do. The communication network that was initially established by God in his creation with us has now been taken back by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus becomes the perfect intercessor between God and humanity. Jesus becomes becomes the go-between 
the hope, the Savior that we needed, when we lost that authority and we had no hope other than just grinding it out through the law and trying to be perfect and failing, and God said, no, 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 Jesus is the perfect intercessor, the go-between. And then Jesus does the work. He goes. He defeats Satan. He defeats death. And he comes back and he says, guess what? I have the authority, and now I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it back to you. If that doesn't tell us how important prayer is to God, I've got nothing else to say. I've got nothing else to give you. That Jesus would be willing to go and not only get salvation on our behalf to extend that to us, but that he would want us to continue back in the role that we were initially created to be as intercessors. That's a big deal. Did Jesus die and resurrect himself? Did he become resurrected for the the payment of our sins and the penalty of our sins? Yes, but it wasn't just that. It wasn't that we just now wait until we get to that future reality, that there's actually beautiful things that he has for us here on earth, things for us to accomplish, and that is the role of intercessor. That is why our church is obsessed with Jesus, Because Jesus is our champion. He didn't just get salvation for us. He didn't just pay for our sins, but he restored us into our rightful place as intercessors who have been tasked with bringing heaven to earth. And, of course, we know that Jesus is no longer on earth with us, right? But our communication network remains established We are not alone. In fact, Jesus warned his disciples in John 16, verse 7. He told them that this was going to happen. He said, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we see that Jesus wins back our authority, our right to be intercessors, because there's more to be done. And he says, I've got to go away. I've got to go so that the advocate, that the Holy Spirit would come and empower us to carry on the work. Later in that same conversation, Jesus shows his disciples that their work will continue in pushing back the darkness. It says in John 16, 23 through 24, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. He's saying, you've always had the opportunity now to just talk to me directly. But I'm about to go. I'm about to fulfill and complete the thing that I've been sent here to do on earth and return to my rightful place at the right hand of God, sitting in the throne room with God. But you will ask for things in my name. Your power will continue. Jesus reclaims that authority that God established at creation, lost by humanity through sin, and then Through his victory over death and sin, he reclaims that, and he extends it back to us, and he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to live that out. Because of Jesus, our authority, our role as intercessors, our direct line of communication to God is directly and fully intact again. This is good news. 
Jesus did the impossible work that we could not do so that we could reestablish and have again that direct line of communication with God to be his go-between between heaven and earth. That's what it means to pray as an intercessor. We are his go-between, between heaven and earth. And that was once disrupted, but now it's been restored through the work of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Intercessory prayer is the beginning, the middle, and the end of any attempt to drive out the darkness that's in this world. Intercessory prayer is the beginning, the middle, and the end of any attempt to drive out the darkness in this world. There are so many good organizations and good attempts to bring goodness to this world, but unless we have prayer, unless we have the power of Christ in us with the Holy Spirit, unless we enter into that space, the darkness will keep winning. But we have that power. John 10.10 says this, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. So I want to ask a question. I told you the story of creation. I told you how it was originally designed to be, how it was lost, how it was regained by Jesus, and that Jesus has empowered us to be that go-between, to be the intercessors, to be the people who are bringing heaven to earth through prayer. And as I've thought about this for weeks now, as I've thought about this, I've been asking myself this question a lot. What would happen, this is what I've been asking myself, I'm going to ask it to you, what would happen if I actually believed in prayer? Oh, that has killed me some days. Because I'm like, oh, we're preaching this series on prayer and I love it. And then sometimes I pray as if I don't believe in it. And that kills me. What would happen if I actually believed in what Jesus says about prayer? And what scripture says about prayer? The goal of this series is not to learn about prayer. It's to get us to believe in prayer. To believe in its goodness. When Jesus spoke about prayer, he wasn't talking as just a teacher. But he was talking as the author and the authority of heaven, the creator of all things, the illustrator of all things. Jesus was talking in that same space. With all of that power, he was saying the things that he said about prayer. And I want to read you a few of the things he said so that maybe, just maybe, we might just believe a little bit more in prayer. Luke eleven nine 9 says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Do you believe that? Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? John 14, 13 and 14 says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Matthew 21, 22, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And finally, Matthew 7 from the Sermon on the Mount, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Do I believe in prayer? I have been asking myself that so often as I've poured over my notes and prepared and prayed for people and taken prayer requests that we've been having. We have this prayer team now, and this thread goes out, and there's real hard things. There's really difficult things in people's lives each and every day, and we pray for them. And if Jesus was not lying, which he wasn't, I can say that confidently. If he wasn't lying, then the things that we are asking for will happen. The caveat that I feel like I have to give without reducing the faith that we're talking about is is this. It's not always going to be answered the way that you think it should be. It doesn't mean that he's not answering it. It means that it doesn't, it's not always going to happen the way that you think it should. But that doesn't rebuke the invitation to ask. It says that we should ask, that we should ask for the things that we want, that we want to see, the healings that we want to see in people, the restoration in relationships, the future that we believe God has set in front of us. We should ask for those things. And it says that it will be given to us. What would happen if we actually believed in prayer? I don't always understand why God answers prayers the way he does. None of us do. It's part of the mystery. That's part of the tension. It's part of being a faithful follower of Jesus. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we were to just line that up with the rest of our life, there's a lot of things that we don't actually know that we think we know. If you were to evaluate things like, oh, I know exactly where my money is in my bank account. Do you? I mean, you think you do. There's a name on a bank somewhere, but that could be gone in an instant, right? You think your car's parked outside. I'm sure hoping it still is. Otherwise, Matt's going to be really busy today. (laughs) The thing is, is I don't know how he answers them all of the time, but I know that we're demanded to ask and we are demanded to believe that he will give it in his name, that he will give us. If we align our hearts with God, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, then we become the intercessors bringing heaven to earth. And all over the world, throughout history, revivals of salvation, of healing, of justice and restoration have sprung up and are springing up because people take the call to pray seriously. And until the day where there's no more tears and no more pain and no more crying and no more sorrow, until the new heaven and the new earth are remade, we are called to bring heaven to earth. We are God's intercessors. We are the go-between between his goodness and this dark world. And he's just saying, please pray. Be intercessors. So I want to remind you of that bold claim I made about you at the beginning of this sermon. You are God's plan to push back the darkness. You are God's plan to work against the chaos, to work against the destruction that the enemy is trying to sow in every single life.
You were designed to be that from the very beginning. You were designed to carry that reality with you from the very beginning. And yes, there was an interruption, but Jesus won that authority back. And he's empowered us to be those people. So might we pray. Might we pray for those around us. Might we pray for the things. Might we be the intercessors that we were created to be, that we would enter into a space where we're efforting to drive back the darkness, to ask God to restore marriages that are broken, to ask God to heal bodies that are falling apart, to ask God to to renew financial um, goodness in people's lives, to give them the resources, to have the trust, to have the faith, to chase the things that he's put in their hearts. We have the opportunity to pray for those things. That's our role as intercessors on earth as it is in heaven. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing a song. And after this song, I'm going to come back and I'm going to lead us through a little exercise in prayer. But I thought it was just appropriate that we would just take this song and sing and let God speak to us with what he's trying to say. This intercession, this idea that we are the the people who are on his behalf, driving back the darkness. He chose you today to hear this message because he wants you to drive back the darkness. He wants you to intercede on behalf of other people. So God, we come to you and we ask that you would help us to believe in prayer, not to just know about it, not to even just hear those words and go, that's amazing, but that's for somebody else. No, to believe that the very reason we stand here today is because you entrusted this message to us. You entrusted this opportunity to us. God, pray, pray that we would be the intercessors that we were created to be, that we would lift up the needs that we know about in the people's lives all around us and drive back that darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.